Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that's bottom of the class. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. In our second episode on our silly season, we're going to talk about education. We're going to quickly talk about the silliest silly season story that ends all silly season stories. And then we'll actually talk about a few more substantive issues. like every political year Steve gets the silly season story it deserves and I remember two years ago the main silly season story was will Ken Clark lead a government of national unity god I've forgotten about that the silly season story this year is that 40 state secondaries uh, are going to be are going to teach Latin but before we talk about that you want to do a quiz not really but you've prepared one so I don't think I have a choice so what do the following have in common animal welfare British sign language Handling money, first aid, chess, digital literacy, and when to go to A and E, all have in common. Uh, they're all things that people have demanded to add onto the uh, national curriculum in some form. They are indeed, Steve. Yeah, that all sounds about about right. Like, I enjoy chess. Don't think I'd want it on the national curriculum. You actually actively play chess. Do you want it on the national curriculum? I mean, the logic behind adding chess to the national curriculum, I can see in that it has provable benefits in terms of problem solving, in terms of thinking, in terms of improving literacy and numeracy. However, this goes with Latin as well. The stupidest story of all. The The fact that the entire... British political discourse got waylaid with what 40 state secondary schools are going to do is remarkable given some of the other issues in education. Um, The fact, uh, before I answer your question, the fact that we have had a a big issue about catch-up funding in schools where Britain is giving its 10 times less per pupil than other countries are to catch up over the pandemic. It's an absolute scandal. Also, a massive below the radar story that hasn't got enough coverage is the fact that the government wants to try and reform teacher training providers. So all the thousands of providers who offer teacher training need to reapply for accreditation under this new uh, proposed scheme. That is essentially like a mass fire and rehire scheme, which is not only a massive extra bureaucratic nonsense, but also is estimated to put 10,000 teacher training places at risk. It's not like we've got a shortage of teachers, especially in key subjects that like STEM. Well, I absolutely. Well, and soon we'll have an English because fewer people are doing GCSE and A level English because they hate the government's. Well, they hate the hate goes reforms to the English curriculum, so few people are doing English. So that's that's a nice slow burn issue for fifteen years as we'll have no English teachers. Oh, interesting. The, the problem when people say that X or Y should be put on the national curriculum is that. It's never really explained what they want taken out of the national curriculum first. Yeah. There is a finite number of hours in the school day. And by the time you've done English and maths and probably science. There's not a lot left over. There really is not a lot left over. And yeah, when, when you consider the other things that generally go into it, like, say, history, 
geography, PE, PE, music, yeah, technology. Actually, we can we can ignore music because no one because no one's teaching music anymore. That's been gutted to to high hell. Well, that's a separate conversation. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, it is one we have had on the podcast, yeah. but absolutely. The the other issue is who's going to teach it. So music's a very good example, actually. So funding for music has been cut, so that's the number of specialist music teachers we have massively decreased. So something like chess, say, if you have someone that I think there's a there's a whole range of difference between putting chess in the national curriculum and every damn school having to do it. And actually chess being taught in a few specialist schools by good teachers who know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, or like making it so that hey if if we know that chess has some kind of benefits to for 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 people setting up chess clubs after school or, or whatever because those are you can do those things in a different way and it's not necessarily a part of the curriculum but you can maybe help it out and kind of like get the people that would be interested in it doing it same with latin so my grandma did latin at school because she went to school in the 1920s um, and she, she enjoyed it you know she waxed lyrical about it i suppose she was the she was the kind of person who would have gone to university now past the 11 plus went to grammar school so loved doing crosswords so would completely buy the arguments that people should be doing latin because it helps you understand the roots of different english words those sorts of arguments um the problem is that if you sort of say well we're going to have this on the national curriculum and i just picture myself back when i was educating the young and imbibing them with knowledge excellent use of the word imbibe some of the time anyway You've got six lessons to give in a day. You've got six hours of lessons to do. You put most of your effort into making sure that your English and maths is fine for the morning than you've got the afternoon. If you've got a Latin lesson to do, if we assume that the teacher is not going to be a proficient Latin speaker because there's not going to be the, a specialist teacher in every secondary school, then essentially you're going to have an off-the-peg programme. So you're probably going to buy it from Pearson or someone, or you're going to just look online to see what people have put on primary resources or on the Times Education website. So that's not useful because you're not going to have... Te- teachers aren't going to have the skill to do it, especially at primary level, and that's... Absolutely, and, and, and the reality is Latin doesn't have... With an awful lot of other kind of, uh, kind of like reforms or areas of like the curriculum like one of the one of the big things is oh we can just get like you know encourage experts to come in and become teachers so like um you know encourage scientists to come in and actually become science teachers historians should be become history teachers all of all of those sorts of things as a way to kind of get around get around the lack of skills um within the uh within the, the current war- workforce um I which think- is is, which is a, a separate conversation in and of itself. Oh. Believe me, I know, I know. Um, uh, because having a skill in an area does not mean you are good at education and good at teaching people, um, fundamentally. Latin doesn't probably even have enough experts of people who are good at speaking Latin to be able to do that across the country. So you can't even plug that back gap that way, which means you are 100% going to be ending up in that, that situation you just just described of basically every session being hand to mouth of, God, what do we do now? Um, let's just keep this, keep this going, which any form of education, and this doesn't just go for schools, this goes for like training programs for adults and, and everything else as well, any form of um, training which is just kind of 
hand-to-mouth of crap, what's next, will not work particularly well. Um, I've been there, done that. I've run <laughs> run programs myself where it's been like that just because you haven't had the time to, to prepare it properly. Um, I've been on the end of programs that have been like that. And I, like from both sides, it doesn't function. So for Latin to work, you would not uh, be brought in. Let's assume that all of the arguments in favour of this are 100% legitimate and it's actually really beneficial. In order to even do that, you need to increase the number of people who are fluent in Latin to be able to actually teach this in some capacity, which means massively upskilling your existing workforce in some form, which isn't going to happen. I mean, there might well be enough Latin specialists out there. I imagine there's enough medievalists out there. Um, of course, the problem is that they government doesn't really value medieval history either. Is this a way we can sneakily fu- get get the government to fund medieval history? <laughs> well, they should. Yes, they should be funding it anyway. That's. I mean, I I might I might be an academic now if I'd have been able to. I actually have had Latin lessons at university. They were some of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Because this is the thing, like I, I, I actually do know a number of people who who have been taught Latin in various forms. I've got I've got friends who are did it at school because they went to like posh schools that still did it. I can't believe you're reinforcing the elitist interpretation, elitist perception of Latin in our schools. Just just saying, I went to my local comprehensive. Didn't have Latin as an option. Just saying. All right, sorry, I think there's... What's that on your shoulder, Steve? Is that a chip? <laughs> definitely chip adjacent, isn't it? Fer, ferem, feris, feret... Oh, I've forgotten. I used to be able to do... I think second declension nouns, I used to be able to remember. That was the only thing I remembered. Um, um, Lenny Vidi Vici. That's literally all I know. Illegitimum non carborundum. The other problem is that they are... Well, one of the solution. What well, one of the reasons they've advocated teaching latin is because it helps you learn modern foreign languages to which you'd think that maybe the teaching of modern foreign languages might be a good way instead especially as again declining numbers of people taking those language courses declining numbers of teachers um in those areas like there are so many better ways to improve that every piece of uh, evidence i've kind of heard on coming from from proponents of this seems to really not hold any real weight or any real water and it just seems to be they're just kind of scraping around for some kind of justification as to why latin should be on the uh, uh on, 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 on as a part of the curriculum without giving any real thought as to why it would be there to begin with latin has no place in in modern education as far as I'm, 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 I'm concerned. Yeah, it might have some fringe benefits if you uh, uh, for modern foreign languages and, and things like that, but you need to be funding modern foreign language languages properly in order to get that to happen. Otherwise, what's the point of having Latin on there? Okay, it might help with formal grammar, maybe, but that's not going to make a blind bit of difference to... to most people's actual careers or lives we don't need you don't need to be 100% able to utilize the difference between a dash and an m dash unless you are doing proficient copywriting or, or something like that so it, it all just I, I, so i feel that there are good arguments for teaching latin in as much as i think there's nothing wrong with teaching 
knowledge for knowledge's sake. I think there's nothing wrong with teaching something which can give you a a more rounded view of the world and which has, as I say, massive tangible benefits in terms of our understanding of the past can be greatly benefited by learning Latin. My issue is that that argument is completely told with any other changes that the government has brought in with the national curriculum over the past five or ten years and is also massively at odds with the fact that you've got um, essentially defunding arts departments in universities. So by all means, if you want a small number of schools to do Latin, I'm, I'm not going to kind of lie down in front of the tarmac outside the school, like stopping them. I, I, in a way, I'm, if they've got Latin teachers who are good and enthusiastic, fine. However, none of this makes any sense with the rest of your, with your approach. Speaking of which, uh, there's an absolute tear-inducing report from the Institute for Government, which came out this week, about the Department for Education's workings, or I should say lack of work, over the past year, um, which we we have touched on, mainly because of our contempt for Gavin Williamson, the assassin-faced baby mm-hmm. in charge of education. And yet somehow this report was even more depressing than I thought it was possible to be. G- given our low, 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 the low, 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 low bar we've kind of set for even vague, oh, that's that's actually not too bad from the Department of Education for, for it to sail and what's, like to no, you d- d- dig dig under the bar so spectacularly downwards. I don't know if there is a bar anymore. It's just, well, it's just like a... It's just on the ground. Like a pole just... vault that's gone wrong. It's just kind of collapsed and is just lying. It's a pole abandoned. vault that's on the ground and literally you kind of step over it and occasionally trip over it. I th- and and the, the sad thing is the department is actually tripping over it more than stepping over it. Uh, and I don't even know if it's... <sighs> do, do you want to go through the... what? what no, it's, no, what I don't. Said, but you're going to need to. Oh, dear. The, the t- there's two things that really stick out as being horrendously unforgivable. So one of them is that no contingency plans were put in place for the closing of schools. This isn't just true in March when it still wasn't really that forgivable given that by March, coronavirus was raging on the continent and it was pretty obvious what was going to happen here. But essentially, no contingency planning took place. And I'm going to quote from the report. A number 10 source says that the clear steer officials received from the Prime Minister was not to make contingency plans. Schools were going to reopen, exams would be held. The view was, if you prepare for these things not happening, then the outcome is that they are far likely not to happen. People will look for the easy way out and take it. According to the number 10 insider, the Prime Minister's default is to bluff, which yeah, I know is surprising to us as well, listeners, um, to talk up things to such an extent that they will happen through the force of his own personality, which is a very powerful tool. And I think we can all agree that the Prime Minister is a very powerful tool. But the virus doesn't listen to these messages. And just, I don't understand how you couldn't... The thing that gets me is the cynicism of that view more than anything else. The fact that, oh yeah, well, if we prepare for this, of course all those scroungers and layabouts are going to look for an easy way out. So like, mate, 
there's an awful lot that gets said online about kind of like, oh, the Tories view people as X, Y, Z, um, or, or, or whatever. And like 90% of the time, I just kind of roll my eyes at it and just go, blah. But then you get things like that, and you go, no, that's that's legit. Like, they genuinely do just view us as expendable. They genuinely do just view us as people who are just trying to skive and, 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 and you know, not actually do our do the best we can. Despite the fact that they're the ones that are screwing everything up at a higher level. Sort of related to that, I'm not quite going to go down the, the full... Full report. <laughs> the full... Right, I, I, for me, it's more... Uh, it's sort of related to that. The other thing that is astounding is what the government attitude was in terms of why they wouldn't let local councils uh, sort out free school meals. So they, bearing in mind this is a government that was happy to give hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds, to random companies that ministers' mates were part of. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't give money to local authorities to sort of about uh, to set up free school meal provision because. Because, and I quote, um, my ministers absolutely hate local government, one DfE insider said. They hate it because far too much of it is labour. They believe local government is stuffed full of progressives who do not believe in phonics. Now, people probably don't have a strong opinion either way on phonics. No, actually, everyone believes in phonics, Steve. (laughs) Anyone who is involved in the teaching of reading knows that at some fundamental level, phonics is part of it. Why the hell they're rehashing policy debates from 30, 40 years ago is insane. That's because that's that's the cutting edge of their knowledge on everything. But I I think it feeds into the point of it's something that we said uh, I I don't think it's that the Tories necessarily think that they're expendable, although the report does talk about how they think that schools are almost units. They don't think about their role in the community. But I think it's more, we talked a few weeks ago about how um, Gareth Southgate was seen as an agent of deep woke. Mm-hmm. because he wrote a suspiciously well-written article. And there was the sort of vaguely horrible realisation that perhaps some in the government actually believe the culture war nonsense that they're peddling. And um, yet more evidence of that. This is. And that's, yeah. yeah, it's... Because the idea that you've got local government full of lefties pushing a kind of 70s progressive education agenda is nonsense. And certainly it shouldn't dictate whether or not you want to uh, help them, say, feed starving children. And I suppose the other thing is that they are very explicit about the role of academies in, uh, that the role of academies is to essentially make sure, a power grab by the DfE um, against local authorities, um, which has led to a complete balkanisation of the school system anyway. I think just to go again, just to go back to the lack of contingency planning, which I think is completely unforgivable because any organisation needs to start planning for worst case scenarios. One hundred percent. Like I, I'm sure we've said this multiple times at this point. If Darren Williamson were in any other position um, that wasn't polit- political, and he had put in the level of performance that he has put in um, with, as, as, as Secretary of State for Education, he would have been fired for gross misconduct multiple times by now. Like, he is... Like, the history books are not going to be kind to this man. He is, the in many ways, I feel like, the absolute worst of, like, Johnson's government. And, it, and that says something. 
like, and I think it's one of those things that I think I think for you because of like your 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 background, obviously as a as a teacher and working in education. And for me, because it's like one of even though I've never done that, like it, I, it's one of my things where education isn't the silver bullet for solving a lot of issues, but it's a damn important part of it. And any kind of like serious progressive agenda looks at education as a as a means to to kind of like build things up um, for the future. And so, so every time something William someone this government in particular does something, it's just so grating, and it's just and it's like that they're like. You know, there's the phrase that, like, science, in science you stand on the shoulders of giants to make further discoveries and, and things like that. It's almost like that, but with terrible policies. So you've got, like, Michael Gove, um, like, 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 walked so that um, Gavin Williamson could sprint to, to try and destroy any kind of, like, semblance of the, um, of what's going on. Because, like, Gove screwed up a lot. But he at least kind of like genu- misguidedly genuinely believes in it. I feel like Williamson just does not care about anything and is just kind of using it for his own idiotic ends, whatever that might be. Probably just all about all about how he can re- try and make a stab at the leadership, so we can say, "Ah, yes, but look, I was the one that stuck it to all of these um, progressive lefties in local government by not funding X, Y, Z, or or whatever," and be- and because. The Tory membership is of an age that it is at. They will probably look at it and go, "Yes, yes, that is of course what all or local government is like," because that's what they. It was that culture war was happening when they were young, and they've assumed everything is the same. I will have no praise for Michael Gove as education secretary on this podcast. Wasn't exactly praise. I still said so that he was bad. <laughs> I just said I'll he have was no qualified. And, but it's, it's interesting that Gove was replaced as Education Secretary because his reforms were seen as um, being not just an issue for the teaching profession, but also for having a big knock-on effect on parents as well. And that was one of the reasons that Cameron reshuffled him. Whereas Williamson, for it doesn't. Maybe this is it, again these issues with Williamson and exams and what have you doesn't quite seem to have the same political calculation hasn't been made. Um, maybe partly because of bluff. Um, again, there's just another horrific, um, horrifically depressing paragraph about the um, the exams scenario. And again, the, the report talks about some um, uh, DfE official who was trying to talk to people off qual in the Department for Education with ministers about the problems of the grades. At every level of off qual, they agree what the problem was and ministers agree the problem was and yet nobody changed anything and it feels like you've got many and this is a theme of the report as well you've got a number 10 our ministers who wanted to try and show they were in charge of things but weren't actually in charge because fundamentally the two people that could make a difference actually on this and and drive drive home change are gavin williamson who doesn't care and boris johnson who doesn't care and is too busy doing whatever to, to pay attention to this and just doesn't handle the details of anything well. No. Uh, yeah. Th- this is a powder keg that is going to explode in the in the near future. And I don't mean that in the political sense. I, I, I mean that in the impacting people's life 
lives since. I mean, it already has in, in, in many, many ways, but it's... We've still got, what, a couple more years minimum of this? See, if we if we knew Latin, we could at least have some sort of inspiring tag to end this episode on. That wouldn't be, like, you know, suitable for the mood we're in, though, would it? What, elitist? <laughs> Crushing despair, I was going for. <laughs> Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Fucking Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. <laughs> <laughs>